busy dancing the drink. Yeah, it's a bit wacky, isn't it? To me, it's very French. <laughs> and then it just... And then it becomes subtle and sexy and sultry, just like, just like Great Beaujolais can be. What a coincidence! We're talking about Beaujolais. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? You would have. I mean, did we plan that? What? It's like it's like wearing the same outfit as somebody else. And did you guys call each other beforehand? We actually did. Let's let's be fair. <laughs> so that's a that's a cat by the name of Jean Constantine, and there's a song called Le Beaujolais. He was a famous singer uh, in the 50s and 60s in France, and I'm sure you heard a lot of uh, his music uh, dubbed over with some Jerry Lewis in the 1950s and 60s because French love slapstick comedy. That's, that's awesome. Uh, I did not hear that in the 1950s because uh, I wasn't around, but I'm sure you're 100% correct. Uh, I also did not hear I'm it. Sure. Are, you saying, are you saying that I heard it in the 1950s? I, you know, I'm just, I, I'm just implying that I am not as old as the other person on this call. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about my Santa Snow White beard. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? Uh, I'm Adam Cataldo. He's Manny Gonzalez. We're not going to forget again. This is Bottom of the Bottle. Thank you so much for joining us. As you gleaned from the first little banter there, we are talking Beaujolais today, which we thought was most appropriate for Thanksgiving coming up. Thanksgiving's next week. Uh, Beaujolais Nouveau release was, was yesterday, International Beaujolais Day, whatever we want to call it, the specific term for it was yesterday, which is, you know, is a big deal. Actually, it's a, it's a somewhat big deal in the United States. It's a really big deal in France. I, I don't think we comprehend how big of a deal Beaujolais Nouveau actually is, and we'll get into that. It's, a, it's about a third of all Beaujolais production, which is crazy when you, when you think about it. But, yeah, we're, we're staying with that Thanksgiving theme, you know, talking Beaujolais today. Uh, and also, we both like to drink Beaujolais, so that helps. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing with Beaujolais that I, I think is really interesting is that it is serious wine, at least what we're drinking today. And uh, they are great food wines. And it's no coincidence that you know the third Thursday of each November is International Beaujolais Nouveau Day at precisely 12.01. And I was actually at a store Wednesday afternoon and I saw a display of Beaujolais Nouveau, and I said, hey, are you supposed to be selling that right now? He's like, I know, 12.01 midnight, but what are they going to do? So, um, but I mean, they're Beaujolais Nouveau parties. And the story, I think, what's really cool about Beaujolais Nouveau is that it, it ties into all these other things that we talk about oftentimes on, on this podcast. You know, it ties into uh, climate, it ties into terroir, it ties into politics, um, and it ties into food and food and wine, and they, they work really well together. And I'm not going to hate on Beaujolais Nouveau, um, but I'm glad that I'm not drinking one because <laughs> I am drinking a super awesome 
estate wine from a village called Bruyi, probably one of the most famous villages in Beaujolais. And this is a serious, serious, heavy red wine. I'm also drinking an estate wine uh, from Northern Beaujolais. I have a Moulin Avant. If uh, my French is terrible, hopefully I got that somewhat right from Chateau de Jacques. Uh, again, serious, gorgeous, ageable. Again, Nouveau gets a knock in this country because of fancy labels and all sorts of kind of gimmicky things that happened in the last, let's call it 30 years. But it's it's still important. I, I mean, it's not my favorite thing either, but there is a reason why it's around and why and why it's important, why the French care about it, why they make a big deal about it, and, and so on. It's not it's not just a marketing gimmick. So many things <laughs> we no. like to talk about. No, no, you... But we do. We like, we like to talk about, you know, marketing gimmicks and this and that and, and so on. And it, it can come off as just a marketing gimmick. It's not. There's there's a There are real wine reasons. There's romantic reasons for Beaujolais Nouveau on, on the romantic side of the business for wine, not the business side. Uh, and I, I we'll get into that at some point, I'm sure, today is... We try not to ramble on for three hours. I feel like this one could actually really get away from us because there's so much to talk <laughs> about. And we did not plan what we're really talking about beforehand. This one could go yeah, right. No. No, we're <laughs> winging this. So, so, I mean, I think that the real question is is kind of define what is Beaujolais Nouveau, you know, and um, why, why, not just why is it a thing, but what the hell is it? Because there's Beaujolais, there's Beaujolais Village, there's Cru Beaujolais, which is what we're drinking that we'll kind of dive into, in, you know, in a few moments. But, you know, really defining what Beaujolais Nouveau is, and Nouveau just means kind of new. Beaujolais is the region. It's also called uh, Beaujolais in uh, Premier, and basically like the first release. And this was something that people would celebrate the harvest with. So, you know, it's October in uh, late September, early October in the region of Beaujolais. Um, and this was the first bottlings of wine just as a celebration. Hey, we just finished our harvest. Isn't this exciting? Let's get drunk, you know. And people really just started kind of digging on this real fresh, fruity style wine. But more importantly, you know, where is Beaujolais? Ooh, are you asking me? I'm throwing this. I'm throwing this. I am asking oh, okay. you. Yeah. All right. Again, we did not. I thought we'd banter back and forth. <laughs> Beaujolais is just well. So, I believe Beaujolais and Burgundy, or Bourgogne, are officially separate. We used to talk about them as an entity as being a separate, um, the southernmost appellation of, of Bourgogne, but now it's not. They're, they're connected. But it is, it's, it's its own, it's directly south of, uh, of Bourgogne and just north of, of the Rhone. Yeah, it's, it's technically in the, the municipality of the Northern Rhone, um, which is kind of interesting. And, you know, it shares some similarities to the Northern Rhone in, especially where our wines come from in the soils. Because when we talk about the wines of Burgundy, it's oftentimes clay and limestone and Burgundy is not so homogeneous. There's a lot of complexity in the soils, which is what makes, you know, each parcel and each village and each vineyard special. Um, Beaujolais in the northern part 
of Beaujolais, just south of, I'm sorry, just north of the city of Lyon and south of the Maconnais, where you find the famous wines of Puy Fumé and Macon Village, uh, we have granitic soils. And Beaujolais loves, or Gamay rather, the varietal in Beaujolais, loves granite, granite loves Beaujolais. It's a peanut butter and jelly love affair, and they make some expressive wines together. I think it's really funny, it's really interesting, is that Gamay, you do see in, uh, really like in the southern part of Burgundy, in the Maconnais, because they're getting more granitic soils there, it's a warmer climate, Gamay does well in that, that kind of microcosm there. Um, and if you see red wines from the Macon, which we never see in the United States, but if you were in France and you saw a Macon red, it's made of Gamay um, as the main varietal. And even though Beaujolais and Burgundy are separate entities, Burgundy can pilfer a little bit from Beaujolais and sneak in some wine from Beaujolais, some Chardonnay, which is the white grape they'll grow here. They do produce some Pinot Noir in Beaujolais, and you'll see some of those wines going into the wines of Burgundy, but they're not allowed to do the same. Um, but there's an old story as to why there's really not much Gamay in, in Burgundy, and it dates back to the 14th century. Uh, there was a Duke of Burgundy, his name was Philip the Bold, and he basically had a massive wild party, got super hungover on some Gamay produced in the Cote d'Or, the famous Golden Slopes, where we see Chardonnay and Pinot, and was so upset by this that he had all the Gamay grapes picked up and pulled up, ripped out, and they brought them down to Beaujolais. And when it got to Beaujolais, they're like, oh, this is actually really good. <laughs> you know. And so you know, we talk a lot about like the monks and um, the vigneron, the vintners, people that are growing the grapes, you know, understand terroir and understand where grapes belong, but it's also a good amount of trial and error. And, you know, they make a lot of mistakes and that doesn't really work here. And they make some, some great mistakes like, oh, let's put Beaujolais on this granite soil because Pinot and Chard doesn't do well here. And then you get some super awesome Gamay. It's one of the great accidents in of all this look all, all the cool wine stories are accidents right like it's all it, it's all luck and happenstance and so on but man he's not exaggerating this guy was just like i'm outlawing gamay in in Burgonia. nope can't do it get it out of here as fast as you possibly can and where they brought it it just happened to work if they had gone someplace else it might not have but it worked in beaujolais it's it, it's crazy but but we are all better off for it. Yeah, the other absolutely. Beaujolais, um, Manny mentioned Leon. So, you know, we've talked about Leon before when he did his little, the Sone meets the Rhone in Leon or whatever. I don't know. I can't keep track of all that nonsense. Oh, you remember. You remember my rhyme. But I did. But the, the Leon did something that really helped afterwards too where it's back in the middle between burgundy and promote more local products and they taxed significantly burgundian wine and rhone valley wine so that beaujolais would have a chance to be drank because it didn't have the prestige but burgundy remember historically burgundy has all the monks 
they're making all the wine for the church and, and so on. When the Pope moves to Avignon and the Avignon Papacy, all of a sudden now there's a lot of sacramental wine coming from there. The church is very influential. Beaujolais is just kind of stuck in between these two uh, powerful entities for wine because of the religious connection. And Leon's like, you know what? We're going to tax the hell out of those guys so we can promote Beaujolais if you want to drink around here. And people realized that aside from the fact that it was economically easier to drink Beaujolais, it was actually really pleasant. And they started to drink more of it. And Beaujolais grew and more people started drinking Beaujolais and it became something that people looked for. Yeah, well, and I think they also realized that, you know, the food in Lyon is really the bridge of the food of France. So it connects what they call cuisine de bear, which is the, the butter-based cuisine you find in northern France, and it connects the cuisine de oil or the, the olive oil-based wines, or not wines, olive oil-based cuisine you find in the Mediterranean, and they meet in Lyon where the Rhone meets the Saône. I just want to keep that rhyme, that rhyme connection going. But um, so as a result, there are more Michelin star restaurants than anywhere else in France. Um, there's some of them, uh, I think, maybe not in the world, but but there's a ton of Michelin restaurants in Lyon, and they found that the pleasant, fruit-forward, um, but mildly complex wines of Beaujolais at the time worked really well with food, especially, you know, the, the celebration of Beaujolais Nouveau. And then when the trains came, <laughs> and that changed everything because the trains started transporting wine all around France. So like it, at that time, before that, if you were in Burgundy, you drank Burgundy. If you were in Bordeaux, you drank Bordeaux. If you were in Champagne, uh, Champagne you only drank Champagne. If you were in Paris, you know, you had a, a better pick of what you wanted to drink, but it was still hard to get wines from, from maybe the Jura or it was difficult to get wines from the Cote de Rhone. And probably it was a lot of wines from the Loire because they were closer connected. But when the train started connecting France to Paris, that changed everything for Beaujolais. And this kind of goofy, celebratory, straightforward, simple, easy drinking red became the toast of Paris. And then it just poof, took off at that point and people fell in love with Beaujolais Nouveau. What I think is really interesting about Beaujolais Nouveau, you're saying it's about a third of production, but you know they're not really meant to last. And so I always think to myself, you know, if your region is known for a third of its wine or, or four, like a quarter of its wine being undrinkable five months after its release, then you got to focus on some other things. And we've seen over the last 10, 20 years, um, a resurgence in the, the village level wines, which is Northern Beaujolais. Um, and what's unique about, I think Beaujolais in general, between Beaujolais Nouveau, Beaujolais Village, or the village level wines that we're drinking, everything is done by hand. Um, legally, Beaujolais Nouveau, for the amount of wine that they produce, they have to do it by hand. It's wild. Uh, you know, we were talking, I was doing an event last night and we were talking about Beaujolais Nouveau and like that wine that's in a big giant case deck upstairs that you're all going to grab some for tonight. That wine was on the vineyard and somebody was on their hands and knees picking those grapes a month ago, you know, and it's super labor intensive, but even the Beaujolais Village wines, are all hand harvested and the crew wines are all hand harvested. And for the most part, it's all like, um, it's called goblet, but they're bush vines. So they just look like these big arms coming out of the earth, but they're super gnarly. They're old vines. 
um, and they produce some what can be either very simple, straightforward wines or wines that are highly complex. In the the thing with with Nouveau too, and this is part of American culture versus French culture, I think, is when when we go out to dinner, and you know our, our table's not ready yet, we go to the bar, we order a cocktail, right? That's what we do. We get it's whatever it is. It, it, you get a martini, you, you like bourbon, you, you get some type of cocktail. And then when you sit, you might have, or, or you might have a beer. When you sit down, you might have wine with your meal. But it's the that. Um, it's a hot day. I'm going to have something. Oh, you know, give, give me a give me a light beer, give me a, a a vodka soda, something like that. That's not France's culture per se. So the the Beaujolais Nouveau for them is that light, refreshing option. So where we're, we're going to go for a, a you know a Miller High Life or a, or whatnot, they're going to grab a glass of Beaujolais Nouveau instead with a slight chill on it. That's kind of their yeah. That's their thing. It's a cultural difference, a historical difference, a cultural difference. But again, it's um, it's not gimmicky. There's a reason. It's pot. Wine is so integrated into their culture. This is their, this is their red uh, aperitif for all intents and purposes. Exactly, and you know, it, it just as we were mentioning earlier, it just so happens to to coincide with you know Thanksgiving, and you know historically it was a second um, Thursday of November. And then in the 1980s, I think they changed it to the third Thursday. And for probably what was happening, somebody was looking at a report. Um, oh, just, we sell, like, the United States sells a lot of wine this Thursday for some reason. And uh, why is that? Well, obviously, duh, it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is, we're saying earlier, this is the big wine holiday. Uh, this week and next week, you know, we work in sales and we are walking to stores. Um, you know, I was out yesterday trying to present wine to people and they looked at me like, are you stupid? I don't have time to talk to you right now. Uh, just send me 50 cases of this and, uh, and then get out of my store. <laughs> um, you know, and so it is a real big wine drinking holiday. Uh, we did our last podcast on food wine pairings. I did an event last night with a retailer in Westboro about food wine pairings and what are great holiday wines. And Beaujolais, the new release of the Nouveau um, coincides with that, not on purpose because the wines were harvested in September and October and they're bottled and they're shipped out and, you know, boom, there you go. We're ready to, we're ready to rock and roll. But they also happen to work with food um, and now it's a big celebratory fun kind of goofy thing that makes me put on the music you would hear with mimes and circus clowns and Jerry Lewis because of Beaujolais Nouveau. Send in we? clowns, which isn't Jerry Lewis. But that was, I was compelled to yeah, do Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Not even close to Jerry Lewis whatsoever. I don't know why, where that came from. Um, so, but uh, you know, we, we've talked. We're talking about Nouveau. We're talking about all this stuff. We haven't really talked about Gamay at, at, at all. We've mentioned it, but why? Uh, Beaujolais is made from Gamay. Everyone, that might be an important piece of information to tell you all. Um, your Beaujolais Nouveau, your straight Beaujolais, your Beaujolais Village, and your Cru Beaujolais are all made from the red grape 
called Gamay. Uh, you know, there there is white Beaujolais. We don't see a ton of it, if any. In I'm sure we see something somewhere in the United States, but we don't see much of it at all. <clears throat> They're really known for for Gamay. That that's what that's their go-to varietal. So what Manny and I are both drinking today is is Gamay. When we when we're referring to Beaujolais at any level, where we're talking about an expression of Gamay from a specific place, which is, I think, important. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and within that, that specific place, you can break that microcosm down even further. So I said earlier, like in the, the southern part of Beaujolais, where if you buy a bottle of wine that just says Beaujolais, or it says Beaujolais, no, most likely it's coming from this area. It's uh, more limestone, more clay in the soils, uh, which gives, you know, acid and it gives the wine some finesse. But what re where the magic really happens with Beaujolais in that northern part. Uh, when you see a wine that says Beaujolais Village, there are about 35, I think, villages in Beaujolais that can produce this style of wine. And the soils are very, very different. Um, you know, you have more granite-based soils and that granite really doesn't retain a lot of water. So the vines really have to dig deep to pull up nutrients and it creates a wine that has a little more extraction and concentration. And so stylistically, the wines are you know, much richer, even from Beaujolais, Beaujolais Nouveau to Beaujolais Village. And Beaujolais Village wines are still pretty light. And from that, we have 10 specific vineyards from north to south, starting with uh, Saint Amour in the north, and then the wine I'm drinking, Brie, all the way in the south. And these 10 villages produce some, can produce some highly concentrated, complex, rich wines. I mean, this wine is 14.5% alcohol I'm drinking. This is, you know, it is a tannic wine. It has some bright acidity. It's got some nice fruit structure to it. This is at the level where you're seeing, you know, some Napa cabs hitting, you know, and they talk about full-bodied wines. Well, that's related to alcohol. And this wine has a ton of weight to it, but it has such beautiful acidity, that freshness that it doesn't feel heavy at all. So, I mean, drinking a couple glasses of this is is pretty easy to do. How heavy, how hot is your your wine? So your I'm, Chateau de Jacques? I'm surprised. It, I'm not getting any burn whatsoever, but mine's 14. I looked at it when, when you said that. Uh, that's higher than I would have expected based on what I'm tasting. But it's... Yeah, it's yeah there's, there's, there's beautiful balance between it. <laughs> you know, um, but one reason why, you know, geologically, why this area is different from the Makone, it's different from uh, the southern part of Beaujolais, it was formed at a different time. It was formed around 60 million years ago when the, the Masaf Central were formed. And shortly after that, the Alps were formed. I mean, shortly after that, I mean, about 10 million years, um, which when you're looking on a piece of paper, seems like that's a very short time, but that is a very long period of time and it's you know obviously it's a give or take a couple million years you thought 2020 was a long year um just imagine being around when when these continents were being formed that was a bad day but you know what ended up happening was the magna magma came up and cooled slowly creating quartz like structures and creating the um the granitic soils of beaujolais where with Burgundy in the southern part of like the Côte de Rhone, for example, you know, these areas were underwater at a certain point, And that's where you get that limestone soil that 
makes that kind of finesse. Um, you know, so you have some old, old soils that don't produce a lot of fruit. They don't produce a lot of produce. It's hard to grow things. Like in the Cote d'Or in Burgundy, it's hard to grow anything in these vineyards. And that's why they're so, I think, structurally powerful and, and complex. It's, this is one of the great illustrations of terroir, too, because if you go to, if you Google Gamay, if you pull out your, your wine Bible and look up Gamay, you're going to learn that it's, it's thin-skinned and they're, they're light to medium-bodied and, you know, they're, they're made in such a way to be soft and fruity and whatnot, in, in general, again, general, generally speaking. That's how the grape is just described writ large. But then we have this one section of the world, these 10, you know, villages from north to south that make these 14, 14% is full bodied, uh, these rich, complex um, wines that kind of go against the, the, the textbook definition of what the varietal is supposed to produce. And that, that, that's what terroir is like that yeah, and it's, it's different where it comes from it's cool it's so cool exactly and and this style that we're drinking although it's become a little more fashionable these crew beaujolais within the last 20 30 years this is the traditional way of making the wine um the way they make wine for beaujolais nouveau it's a um uh it's a process called semi-carbonic maceration and basically what they do, if you imagine a big giant tank they throw all their grapes on top of the tank, full whole cluster. Um, they don't just stem anything, uh, just grapes are sitting on top of one another. And the grapes on top start pushing down the grapes in the middle and the bottom. And the grapes in the bottom, because of the weight burst and because of that natural yeast that's on the skin that you just get in the wineries or in the vineyards, um, the wine starts to ferment. The yeast eats the sugar and creates alcohol and the byproduct is carbon dioxide and that carbon dioxide pushes up and it crushes those grapes in the center so you have the weight on top you have the weight in the center crushing the grapes or weight on top weight in the bottom crushing the grapes in the center and then they start it's a chain reaction then they start to burst they start to ferment inside out which i still totally fully don't understand but they they ferment inside out and explode basically um and it ends up creating a very soft jammy style wine and most Beaujolais, Beaujolais Nouveau is always made like this. Uh, Beaujolais Village or basic Beaujolais is always made like this. And there are some producers with the crew wines that make their wines similar to this. Um, our wines are not. Our wines are de-stemmed, they're crushed, they are uh, fermented for a long period of time. Um, they extract a lot of color and a lot of tannin from the wine. And they're both aged in oak. I think yours is around 12, 10 months. Mine is 12 months in... Yeah, 10 months of mine's 12 months in neutral barrel. Um, so it's not oaky per se, but you can definitely get the oak structure out of it. You know, this is not your granddaddy's Beaujolais, Beaujolais Nouveau. You know, this, this is not a Beaujolais party wine. It could be a party wine. What, you can't party with this wine? <clears throat> it could. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, a Beaujolais Nouveau party wine. This is, this is, yeah, I, I stand corrected. You can totally party with this one. Uh, no, but it's not the Beaujolais Nouveau. 
So when we did our event last night, we had like the Barda Pinot Noir, we had Finca Lamparatrice, we had DZH, Pinot Blanc. So basically wines that we've already talked about on, on the show. And this is the wine that people were just amazed by. It was like they were it was amaze balls. They were they were stunned by it. Well, I mean, if, if your if your only experience with with Beaujolais is the the entry level items, this is gonna be very different for you. It's not especially if, if your only experience is Nouveau. Uh, Nouveau is soft and fruity. Chill that sucker for a little bit and enjoy it. It's it's really easy. Uh, you know, these are fuller structured, you know, f you can drink them by themselves, but they're food <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, it's the, I think oftentimes, and I have this problem with, in sales with talking about wines in general, you bring... I actually, it, it happens in two main categories. I find it with Beaujolais, and I find it with uh, the organic natural wines or, or, or whatnot, for lack of a better term. You're showing one, and you're talking to the, the you're talking to someone, and like, yeah, you know, there's just, there's so many average ones out there, or blah ones out there, or, you know, the non-exciting ones out there that it just, they, they don't sell. Do you know how much wine there is in the world? There are average, not exciting, <laughs> everything. Everything. Do you not try a new cab or a new shad because you had one before that was not exciting? Of course not. You give it a try. Like if, that, if you're into that, you want to try something new? Sure. Like, yeah, it's maybe you've had a Beaujolais before that was not exciting or fabulous for whatever reason. I'm, I'm sure you have. That doesn't mean that every wine of that ilk is going to be meh. Um, just like every Chardonnay is not oaky and buttery, and, and every Cabernet is not just sweet vanilla because it was over oaked. There's so there's so many different things out there. I've, Beaujolais to me is one of those categories where people judge everything on those couple experiences where it wasn't what they were looking for, and there's so much more out there to try. So. Um, don't yeah. hesitate, especially with the crew Beaujolais. Especially. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I mean, they, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for a long time and it really started, you know, century, well, a couple thousand years ago with um, Julius Caesar when he took over, basically went in through uh, the village of Massalia, which is now Marseille, ended up going up the Rhone into Provence or what they called Nuestra Provencia. Um, and then started planting grapes here. And they loved it so much that they started naming um, settlements after themselves. So uh, Julianas, which is one of the crews of Beaujolais, is named after Julius Caesar. Uh, there's another crew called Fleury, which people assume it's because it's floral. And it is a pretty floral wine. It is the most floral, oddly enough, of all the wines of Beaujolais, but it's called Fleury because there was a, a Roman legionnaire by the name of Floris, um, or Fl Floris. They named it, he named it after himself. Rudy, there was a French legionnaire who was the first, or Roman legionnaire rather, who was the first um, governor of Beaujolais, named the village of Bruy after himself, and Mont Bruy, which is the mountain in the center of it. And so this, this AOC is interesting because it's actually kind of like a big circle with another appellation right in the center. Um, yeah, which is kind of fun. But uh, I mean, and oftentimes, I always found with breweries in general, they, they typically are a little softer because we're getting uh, a little more fruit forward. 
because we're getting a little warmer, that is not the case with this wine. This wine has so much, so much structure to it, you know, and yeah, they, they, they know what's going on. They know what they're doing. My region is named after a windmill. <laughs> <laughs> we got legionnaires, we got emperors, and we got a windmill. Um, it's very, it's very French. <laughs> it's a Do nice that. windmill. It's a very pretty windmill. Mm -hmm. It's still there. You can see it. If you Google Moulin Avant windmill, they'll, it'll come up. You can see a picture of it. It's actually there. Uh, <laughs> but it's, yeah, na it's named for the windmill. It, it's, Moulin Avant is actually known for being one of the richer, uh, one of the richer styles uh, of Cru Beaujolais. And it is, we've talked before about benchmarks. Uh, Moulin Avant is oftentimes referred to as a benchmark Beaujolais Um I'm not, it, it's, I don't know if it's specifically, I'm sure if you were in Bruy or if you were in uh, Chena or one of these other areas where they're, you know, growing and producing, you know, Cru Beaujolais, they would say that they should have the benchmark Beaujolais, but um, in, in, in general, Moulin Avant is referred to as the, you know, the, the standard. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, it's the richest, one of the richest style of wines, definitely in, within Beaujolais, but even heading to to richer Burgundy. Um, I did a blind tasting, actually, with the wine that you have with the Moulin Avant. Um, I don't remember the, it was probably the f 15 vintage or, or maybe it was like the 14 vintage or 13 vintage. Um, which, you know, 14 wasn't considered like a, a, the best, most amazing year, but I found structurally the wines are great when they're younger and they're still drinking well now. Um, but I tasted with a friend of mine, Jason Percival, who at the time was uh, studying for his master sommelier exam. And I went to go taste with him at his old restaurant, uh, Post 390, and he wanted to taste everything blind. And so what I did was I wrapped all my wines in tinfoil. And I had a bottle of Chateau de Jacques Moulin Avant. He was tasting it with his uh, assistant. Oh, I forgot his name. I think it was Dan. But they were both convinced it was Northern Rhone Syrah, possibly San Joseph. And I was like, you're not that far off because you have the same soils. They are part of the same department. Um, but this is Gamay. Uh, and, you know, if you kind of break down some of the, the flavor structures of the Northern Rhone, especially San Joseph, which if anyone checked out my, um, my challenge to Adam, I'm still waiting for mine, but... Uh, Patience. <laughs> when, when it's a virtue, which I have none, but... Look, I have to... Uh, I'm like you. I need to record it once, and then again, and then again, and then again, and then again... And again, and again, and maybe again, and then it will go up. You, I, I, it's the exact same thing you do. <laughs> it's just cut, you know going over a couple days. That's all. But I mean, he was totally convinced that it was Northern Rhone. And when I did my challenge out, I talked about the village of San Joseph. Oh uh, yeah, San Joseph. Uh, they, I find typically those wines have a lot of fruit structure to it, and in a blind tasting. I'm not getting the spice or the pepper, but the fruit aromas, the fruit flavors, I might pull out, um, like I'm not getting bacon fat in this. 
but I might say Northern Rome. It's not, um, it's not out of the realm of possibility. So, see, I would, it's, that's interesting. I'd actually have gone in the opposite direction. I would have gone north. I think mine drinks like, like a Pinot, like a red burgundy. It has the, between the weight, the color, the, the, the color is the big thing for me. I, there's no, mine's a lovely garnet. I don't really have any hints of blue, purple, no, you know, it's just a lovely red. Um, but it does, it, it drinks, to, I have that cherry, that cranberry, I have a little bit of that uh, earthiness that you get and a pleasant earthiness you get from a red, uh, a red burgundy. I have a little bit of uh, baking spice. I have a hint of cinnamon, a hint of clove. So uh, blind, I might guess this is, this is red burgundy. That's awesome. That, that's one of my favorite wines. Um, Chateau de Jacques is, is such a special, special producer and they're pretty historic, I think in, in the Beaujolais region. Um, and Cyril's awesome winemaker. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, his wife is also Audrey Bikini, who is the winemaker for Domaine Ferret as well. So fun, cool winemaking family. So is he just trying to copy her and everything she does because her yeah. wines are so ludicrous? Oh my God. Yeah. Oh. That would be a fun, that'd be a fun dinner house to go to, house to go for that dinner. I mean, we're going to get off topic here for a minute. That that domain for a Pouy Pousset, uh, we can't call it a value anymore for what it costs because it, 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 and look, it, it, it is what it is. Things happen. It goes up in price. But that might be the best white wine we sell at any price point. That thing mm -hmm. is absolutely gorgeous on every, it's, it, if someone said to me, you have to bring me one white wine from your book to make me go like blow my mind and how good this thing is of all the wines we have all the crazy cult napa houses we have that make chardonnay all the high-end burgundies that we have and we have some funky beautiful gorgeous well-made high-end burgundies i might pull the just domain for ample if we saying oh, okay here's the one i think yeah. that wine is just delicious at all levels which has it's nothing honest, to do with Beaujolais whatsoever <laughs> it's honestly it's one of the reasons why I decided to work for Horizon Beverage um, really? yes I was like oh well they have Domain Foray because I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a, a salesperson I really like working in restaurants um, I wanted to go to I was actually <laughs> side tangent I was actually initially interviewing for a spirits rep for the stealth division and they wanted a spirits person with with a lot of wine knowledge and that's what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, that's really fun and it's cool and cocktails are cool. I just came from a cocktail bar and I was like, I don't want to sell wine. I don't want to sell, you know, bulk producers or anything like that. And um, then I was looking through the, the beverage journal, which is the book that shows, you know, what everyone's portfolio is. And I saw Domain Foray and Zinubrecht and I was like, okay, we, we can do this. Um, <laughs> and, and that's why I ended up, you know, taking the job, but, um, no, I would say that that wine and especially the 19 vintage is amazing. I did an event, um, with this really cool store in Duxbury, uh, last month, Snug Harbor Wines. And 
you know, we had some high-end burgundies, and I had a single vineyard from them. Uh, Claude de Proyes, who is Proj is the name of the, the crew, single vineyard in the amphitheater of Fusay. And the wine was great, but the 2019, just village-level wine, <laughs> their entry-level wine, was, because it just was a better vintage, the wine was less fat, it was less fruit-forward, that was one of, that was, I think, one of the best wines that she's ever made in this, this current vintage that we have. And if there's any doubt, I mean, if you've listened to us at all, uh, that might, we just went off on a complete tangent about a wine in a region we're not talking about for five years. <laughs> <laughs> they're not it's far not apart, good. though. They're, they're, not, they're not that far apart. I mean, no, you, know, you, really could, not. you could bike there in, in 20 minutes, yeah. Exactly. And some of the soils, like the soils in Fouy Fusay, you're starting to get some granitic soils. Um, they still have a lot more limestone there, you know, but really is in, in um, that we're talking about Domaine Foray, so I completely lost my train of thought. Uh, it's, <laughs> it, it's okay. Um, but it, it is it is interesting, though, the, the difference, because to kind of tie it in so it sounds like we planned this, um, you know, the, the Macanay is so much white wine i mean I, I don't off the top of my head i do not know the plantings of of chardonnay versus pinot and, and so on but it's when we think poor if we say when we think macon village when we think those areas we, we just we go to white wine in our head because it's, it's so predominant and just south of that manny just said it's a 20 minute bike ride from Puita to cross over into beaujolais we're 98 percent planted red to Gamay. Mm -hmm. that's how that's how unique this area is in its soil types and the subtleties and in, in climate climatic differences and so on is that 20 minute bike ride not car ride bike ride north of the area we're talking about they do something completely different so it's so different that what they do in Pui it's less than two I think the actual number and I I'm going to sound smart here, but I'm really not because I looked it up before we started the podcast. Uh, I think there's only 571 acres max planted to white grapes, and it's not all Chardonnay. So it's nothing. It's nothing, and they're that close. Uh, yeah. Again, it just it's it's terroir and what you want to focus on and, and so on. And look, I, I mean, if you can make... Yeah, it's wild. Um, I'm just trying to think in my head what I was going to say, and I'm just so stunned by this wine that I completely forgot <laughs> what I was going to talk about. <laughs> the domain foray that we're not having and the wine in this glass have just his mind yep. so much. Yeah, well, I mean, they're kind of, it's interesting because they're kind of, you know, split like like they're they're polar opposites basically. You know, so if it's like yin and yang, and it's probably I think the same amount of you know Chardonnay versus um, Gamay and Pinot Noir in the Maconay. It's a very small amount. You know, they have both mountains kind of to the to the west of them. Um, you get the influence of the Masaf Central, but also um, 
uh, Mont Beaujolais. You obviously have, you know, the hills outside of Burgundy. You have the Saône River. And it works the same, like, in terms climatically. It's kind of the similar structure to uh, Alsace, where you have the Vosges Mountains, you have the vineyards, and you have the rivers. Um, and they have the same thing here. They have their uh, Mont Beaujolais. They have their vineyards. The best vineyards aren't steeper. Uh, they're not as steep as maybe the Côte d'Or, definitely nowhere as steep as the Northern Rhone or Alsace. But, you know, you get a little bit more of, of an intense grade to your slope. And uh, once again, the granite doesn't retain much water. And so the wines can be develop a little more complexity, they become more extracted, and all that flows right out towards the Sun River. Um, so they're right in between, nested in between. <laughs> and I think if you were to look at um, a lot of the great wine regions, especially in, in Europe, there's always a river at play. Um, and oftentimes a larger land mass. So like the, um, it's not even just, actually, now think about it, it's not even just the, the, the Massa Central and the mountains of Beaujolais to the west, but you also have the Alps to the east. You have the Mistrals coming from the north. You have Mediterranean wind coming from the south, and they all meet here in Beaujolais. That is really a perfect area for making some high-quality, world-class, beautiful, beautiful wines. And, and these two producers nail it yeah i mean mine's gone so we've uh i've reached the bottom of the bottle <laughs> <laughs> that didn't take very long it, and, and you don't feel it that's the best part right it's exactly it's i mean it, it's a little dangerous guy like said that's the percentage on this was 14 14's high so i mean we've talked alcohol a little bit before but the when you go up in alcohol percentage it's not like eating all right, it's all right so when you go from like a, a, a 12 percent wine to a 12 and a half or a 13 percent wine it's a bigger jump than you think it is um it's not like having a hershey's kiss and then going oh i'll cheat and have a second one you know like it's it's not that's a small thing. The alcohol jump is big. So a 14-point wine is not... That's no slouch. Uh, but, again, the, the not feeling it, it's, the, it's so well-balanced that there's there's no burn, there's there's no... It's just... It's, it's integrated. It's there. It's not dominating anything. So that's why it was so easy to drink. Yeah. And it's the same with mine. I mean, it's 14.5. <laughs> um, you know, it's got real firm gritty tannic structure um you know you get a lot of high acid there's a lot of high tone to it there is a lot of rich fruit um it gets it almost this kind of like cranberry thing and i think that's one reason why we do a lot of beaujolais and and crew beaujolais work so well with obviously thanksgiving but you get this kind of cranberry tart tannic thing going on you're getting almost like for mine it's like orange rind spice that i put in my cranberry sauce and and i'm getting clove and i'm getting uh star anise and i'm getting truffle um there's a reason why people drink these wines for their thanksgiving dinner and you know it's not necessarily the reason why we both like drinking these wines but they are 
highly appropriate for for that dinner. And you know, when you think about what you have on the table, right? It's and we talked about you know wine, food, wine pairing last time. But think about what's on the table. You have a melange of food. And when I was doing my event last night, um, it took me all the way to the very end to basically realize, hey, if you have wine that works with charcuterie, you got the perfect food wine because it works with everything. And this is an awesome, awesome charcuterie wine. Because if you get like jam or you have uh, almonds to it, you know, you're, it's gonna work. If you have olives, you know, there is um, kind of a, a, an olive oil viscosity to the wine. Um, it's gonna work with with anything on that on that table or on that plate or just by itself is really amazing. It's that was a lovely um, that was a love letter to Beaujolais right there is what that was. <laughs> that should be the that should be the, the name of the podcast. And and, and and I'm here for it and I appreciated that. I was smiling <laughs> while you were doing that because it's, it's uh I know it's like but it is and you know Beaujolais, so we we sell a wine called Louis Jadot. Louis Jadot Beaujolais Village is one of, if not the most popular French wines in, in America. I don't have the IRI data in front of me, but um, I mean, it's it's the it's the standard for one of the standards for French wine in, in, in the United States. Um, it's actually, you know, Man Manny said Domaine Ferret was the wine that got him to Horizon Beverage. Um, in a way, Louis Jadot Beaujolais Village, the, the, you know, the, the um, Beaujolais is what got me in some ways into wine. I had a very good friend when I used to work for the state of Massachusetts. I had a gentleman who worked for me who was older who became a very good friend whose house wine was Louis Jadot Beaujolais Village. That is what he drank at home exclusively. He had an amazing wine palette. You could be out of the restaurant. He'd be walking by a table and he'd go, someone drinking Chianti? What do you got? And he'd be right. Like, it was amazing, this guy's palate. It was obscene. But when he was home, Louis Jadot, Beaujolais Village, all day long, all the time. It was his thing. I actually, if you, you can kind of see it, the top of my, on the video, the top there, that is a 2007 Louis Jadot, Beaujolais Village, I think. Um, so my, my friend uh, Jim, unfortunately, passed away. Uh, so that was the, the bottle that I had to drink with him, you know, before, uh, you know, he, we, we lost him untimely. So that will always sit up there in my wine rack. But, That's beautiful. Uh, I think, I think, I think you should drink it for him with him <laughs> sit in the field somewhere I, and, and drink that. You know, I, we, we have, I don't know if I'm going to drink that one. Well, that'll, we'll, we'll test how well Beaujolais Village can age one day. We'll wait until, <laughs> we'll wait 25 years and crack the thing. But yeah, I mean, yeah, like there's Beaujolais, that's my personal Beaujolais story, but Beaujolais resonates with people. And again, that's like, I said, you know, the, the Nouveau, it's not a marketing gimmick. It, it is what it is because it resonates with people. For I, There's something about Gamay, the place, what it does that resonates at all levels of the wine industry as the, you know, the, the big brand, for as far as a Beaujolais brand can, can be with Louis Jadot, with Nouveau and how it's treated in France and Paris, especially and how we look at it in the United States. And then the crew level for, you know, your fine dining for your real geeks 
Um, it just, there's something about it that resonates at all levels. It's a real spectrum. Yeah. And they, they you know, we're talking about, you know, aging and, and you know, how is the bush leaf lodged after 25 years? Um, I've had some older vintages, not that old, but I've had some, you know, vintages of, I think I had a 2015 Beaujolais Village just last year, so five years old, and that's typically about three years older than they would like to see it. It was great. It was awesome. I mean, the wine's not meant to develop in the bottle, but it was still very fresh and still highly drinkable <coughs> and always tasty. Um, but the crew wines that we have, these wines, and not all crew wines are, are made the same. Some do the same process they do for Beaujolais, Nouveau and they're jammier and sweeter and riper or, or, or fresher, more direct, more one-dimensional. Um, you know, five, six years, that, that wine's going to be fine. I've had Chateau de Jacques that, have, that we both probably had with uh, Nick Coletto, Chateau de Jacques that's been 20 years old. Um, and you're like, wow, this is another world. I, I don't know a lot of cabs that can age, you know, 20 years like that and still be fresh um you know my wine is only it's 2018 is the vintage this wine can sit for 10 years easily you know and it's not even because chateau de jacques they have um kind of more smaller designation like the moulin avant they have like single vineyard wines the roche um claude roche gray those wines are really dense <laughs> highly extracted and really beautiful and those wines you can try 30 35 years from now um when i did my tasting where we had the uh, 2018 domaine foray we also had a 2015 claude roche gray from um chateau de jacques and i had a, a big magnum of it that i brought and it was beautiful and the star of the show and it was half the price of all the other wines we had, and it was a Magnum and not a 750. You know, so it's, there's tremendous value with these wines. We just love Beaujolais. It's pretty much yeah. what, this, what, what this comes down to. Um, it's just, it, it's, give it a chance. You had a bad experience with Nouveau for whatever reason. Give it a chance. It's it's legit. It's beautiful. It has so many applications. Um, I've gotten all emotional now talking about my buddy Jim. So I got nothing. So I don't know if you, you can keep going if you want, but I'm I'm, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I mean, I guess just one last quick story on Beaujolais. Uh, I don't know if you were there for this. You remember? It was right when I started doing my role at Horizon. And I had um, wanted to do in November, it was actually November two years ago, uh, kind of a seminar on Beaujolais for our sales team. And, you know, they had me go up after Chiro and Chiro was doing Amarone and had all these different Amarones, which for those of you that don't know, Amarone comes from the Veneto. Um, it's the region they make Valpolicello. Um, the grapes for Valpolicello typically make wines that are very similar to Beaujolais. They're very... Um, Fruit forward, Corvina is a grape that has a lot of ripe fruit to it. It can develop some alcohol, but basic Vapolicello is not really complex. It's meant for that kind of quaffing trattoria wine, like regular Beaujolais is a bistro wine. But um, 
Amarone, they would take the grapes, they dry them, they make semi-raisins out of them, they lose about a third of their, their body weight, and then you're basically making wine out of a raisin. So the wine's going to be really rich and heavy. And because they're rich and heavy, you see these wines see a lot of oak. And so I came with my Beaujolais, and people were like, you're really going to follow Amarone with Beaujolais? Like, hold my beer. <laughs> you know, and the, I had that 15 Chateau de Jacques uh, Claude Rochefray that was just amazing and powerful and rich. Um, I had that same wine as a 750. I brought it to um, an account in Boston, was tasting with the buyer, and I put it after the Cabernets. Add, I had some Napa cabs, some Napa cabs that were 15%, 15%, and he's like, he looked at me like I was an idiot. He's like, um, kind of like, I don't know if I should trust you as my rep. And he's like, you're really going to put that cab before the Beaujolais? I'm like, hold my beer. <laughs> and he was just floored. Even Christian, who is the French wine specialist for Cobrand, the importer for Louis Jadot, for Chateau de Jacques, when we do the barrel sample tastings of all their high-end Burgundy, including Grand Cru Burgundy, and Grand Cru Burgundy spends a good amount of time in oak and newer oak the wines are richer, and they're very complex, they're very concentrated. He always finishes those tastings with Chateau de Jacques, Cru Beaujolais. And so what I think is really beautiful, Beaujolais runs the gamut of people, anywhere from that um, celebratory, you know, let's drink some Beaujolais Nouveau, let's get a little silly, to the beautiful everyday wine that somebody has, um, to wines that can last forever and tell a story and and i think ultimately the story i want to tell i'm sure you do too uh, about beaujolais is that it is not a one-trick pony there is so much complexity so much nuance and i think it encompasses and i think why i love it so much it encompasses encompasses the beauty of wine because wine doesn't have to be simple quaffing it doesn't have to be hoity-toity um look at me aren't i fancy but once again these wines retail for $25 a bottle. You know, that's not expensive for high quality wines. And, you know, we kind of hit everything. We hit the entire gamut within this beautiful little region of Beaujolais, which for the amount of wine they make is not that big. And it really makes something cool. So that's what I got. <laughs> Again, <clears throat> This was a uh, this was an hour long love letter to Beaujolais. It, it, pretty much what this was, um, and I enjoyed it. Again, I'm, I got to the bottom of my bottle, so that's the first time I've seen it in, the, uh, in the hour. Normally, I get you know halfway through or whatnot. I got to the bottom of mine this time. So, so I guess the the big question is, uh, where do we go next? Oh, you know, I don't know actually. Um... Should we should we do uh, another kind of video thing or I mean we're coming up to the holidays to see the next one we'll be doing probably I just want to take a look at the calendar um, the second week of December you're actually away that week so we won't do that right um, so we do something around the 14th or so. Um, maybe 
you know, celebrate. I mean, people celebrate Beaujolais Nouveau, and this is the holidays, and you're going to see a lot of these wines on the holiday table. Maybe, maybe we do fun sparkling, because uh, I know you like bubbles. I've, I've heard a rumor that you like bubbles. You said sparkling? What? <laughs> where? Oh, wait, where? I say where? I'm looking around like it's there, it's there, it's there. Saying sparkling to you is kind of like opening up a bag of dog treats next to your dog. Yeah, it, it's I am Doug from up. Oh, squirrel. <laughs> you say squirrel, I, you know, I'm up and I'm looking around. It's just, it's, uh, you say bubbles, that's what I do. So, <laughs> I, I said squirrel and my dog just started whining. Like, wait, squirrel, <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> so. All right, let's do some, let's do some bubbles. I think it's appropriate. Um, celebration is, it's important to celebrate things and it's important to celebrate things right. Then doesn't they're not to be high end bubbles, but they can be really good bubbles. Works for me. Perfect. All right. So we'll lead out with a little bit more of Le Beaujolais from Jean Constantin. Uh, until next time, everyone. Au revoir. So the one thing we didn't we didn't do, we kind of mentioned a couple of them. And you once asked me, you said, what are the 13 grapes of Chateau Capot? Can you name the 10 villages of crude villages of Beaujolais? Oh. Adam froze. So I'm going to give it a try. I'm not looking at my phone. Let's see if we can go from north to south. There is Saint-Amour, Julianes, Fleury, Moulinavant, Morgan, Chenas, Chereau, Bonnie, Bouilly, and Coupadry. Okay, that was totally all cohesive north to south. But at least I got them all.